1: how you doing it's your boy andrew claudio here with a bonus part three or four however many episodes this cap or no cap lasted um this is an additional part to the jalen brunson cap or no cap that you've been enjoying uh yesterday or at least the last two days what you're hearing now is going to be a bit of a response to the cap or no cap endorsing the signing of Jalen Brunson. Uh, First of all, um, for those who are not watching this on YouTube and don't see the
2: two gentlemen with me, Jeremy Cohen, how are you, sir? Doing great, Andrew. You know, excited to talk about Jalen Brunson who may not even be a Nick after all, but <laughs> this could all be for nothing. But hey, it's fun to talk about in the meantime.
1: It is. And the person who might be okay if Jalen Brunson isn't a Nick after all. Joining us, the host of Draft Class, available every Saturday morning on the Nick's Film School podcast feed, Mr. Chris Persiining. Welcome,
3: sir. How are you? First of all, thank you second of all, good. It's a tired, as you know, I mentioned to you guys had some yard work to do, but power and through, always ready to debate, you know, what glad was Everybody
1: now knows that you had yard work, Chris. Mm. Yes. Necessary mm. fact that you shared.
3: I've actually heard that the best arguments
2: start when you've done yard work earlier. Ah, okay. You put in the work and now you're ready. You've so Chris, laid the foundation for your... Chris your quite literally was problem. getting
1: ready to argue you about dirty. this point okay so i i mean anybody that follows these two gentlemen on twitter know where they both stand on this you know from the parts that you just listened to uh how jeremy feels about jalen brunson and if you listen to draft class every now and then chris will let it be known um how he feels on the topic so i'm gonna turn it over to jeremy and here in this final part of the cap or no cap the jalen brunson plan uh jeremy Wrap it up with, uh, I guess the floor is
2: yours with uh, whether or not to sign Jalen Brunson. Go ahead. All right. Well, just some slight house cleaning, Uh, Chris, I'm really excited we get to do this because I know we've talked about this in the past, our differing opinions, but primarily I know you and I haven't really had the opportunity to kind of talk about it quite like this. It's mostly been in passing at a basketball game or through texts. So I'm excited. To, to hear your viewpoint and for us to kind of go over that and go from there. So my first question to you, Chris Percy, um, why do you hate Jalen Brunson?
3: I was going to say, you know, unless you're Alex Collins and you were there with us for Knicks Blazers that day, you would not know that we spent the entirety of an in-person basketball game arguing the merits of signing Jalen Brunson, um, which is, I think, just perfect to, to describe how you and I operate. But for Brunson, man, I think he's just evil. You know, he's wronged me personally. He steal from you? Oh, thousands thousands of dollars? Yeah. Yeah. Have from you considered my, from my salary?
2: Ah, my job, Oh, my, so
3: it's my real so it's, job. It's wallet focused. Okay. Mm. Mm. He, he hit me where it hurts. That's fair. That's that's a reason why not for the next to sign someone. Yeah. Well, you know, listen, in all seriousness, I just think that there are a plethora of reasons as to why I'm not jumping at the bit to Outbid Dallas, you know, who seems to be from what we've heard reported recently, quite interested in re-signing Mr. Jalen. Um, and and the reason for that is mainly because of what we have on the roster and in in quickly and how I think he's undervalued. Um, in you know, a player like McBride, who I think I've, you know, everyone knows I've been like scarily high on since before the Knicks drafted him. So i I understand those two aspects, like my personal view of Quickly, my personal view of McBride, are just that, you know, personal and and they are going to impact my evaluation. but they also can't be the be all end all when a whole organization decides to make a signing. i I understand that. The other thing, though, is just the with where the New York Knicks are right now, with how little pressure we have to be a Contending level squad, how you know, like we we don't need to make any final move moves. And I'm not saying just signing Brunson is I'm not saying that's the equivalent to trading everything you've got for Drew Holiday, but you know, um I think that we could do I'll give him credit and say that his game is really, really gorgeous in regards to his footwork, his skill set, how he goes about navigating defenses, creating space, finding teammates. Like he's a really skilled basketball player. Part of the reason for that is because Ime Yudoka just gave a great quote the other day about how he coaches and, and how who he was as a player influenced that. He said how he wasn't athletically gifted. He didn't have that first step like a lot of those guys. And it forced him to learn the game in a very cerebral way, in a very artful way, you know, play a little soccer out there, really get his footwork down. And th- that reminded me of Jalen Brunson right away and how he kills guys with skill. But I don't think we're in a position as a team where not just it's not just taking a bet it's it's overpaying it's outbidding, and again, we're in a position to maybe make bets, but for someone who's not athletically gifted, for someone who I don't think has a whole tier of play to unlock, I'm not sure that that's someone I want to pay up for, especially the summer after we just paid up for someone without an extra tier of their games to unlock. In my guy, Evan Fournier. You know, I wanted him as a, a floor spacer, someone to help the young kids. And Tibbs was like, Well, what if RJ spaced the floor for Evan? You know, like that, that that's beyond the point. Um, I, I would like to see Evan used as a, a floor spacer. I'm not saying, Oh, we have Fournier, we don't need Brunson. That would be foolish, right? Especially with contracts like Noel on the books that we're looking to move off of. I just think that. If we're gonna take a bet, you know, Brunson being able to shoulder a load for an entire game of being a lead ball handler of being a real primary guard, I would like to to make a little bit more risky of a bet, something with with higher odds, you know, some a, a more profitable parlay there in the sense that I think we have a coaching staff that I trust with my non-existent firstborn to get him, you know, good off the dribble and pull up jump shots. I would love to see them get to work with someone and try to unlock a new level of their game as opposed to outbidding a contending now. To, you know We can call Dallas a contending team. They have that guy named Luka Doncic, and we're just in the Western Conference Finals. I don't know if outbidding them is the move for us with where we're at right now. So let's, for the moment, put Brunson aside.
2: Because I think one of the things that I would like to know, and it'd be helpful if you could explain it, is what do you envision that the Knicks should do this summer? Because I think a lot of that comes into play with, all right, if you didn't want a player like Brunson, what are the other moving pieces involved? So Chris and you are in charge.
3: What direction are you going? What are the moves you're making? To the surprise of many, I'm looking to move Julius Randle to start. The reason for that is because I'm hoping I can get value for him that will match at least somewhat close to my perception of him. It seems from reports right now, you know, inklings, Nick's beat guys talking that it's not exactly uh, a home run, you know, of a trade asset for New York and Randall right now. So I'm not sure if I would have an easy time moving him, but I would certainly look to do it. And the reason for that is because Obi has shown enough. Uh, and and was enough before he got a chance to start an average 21, 10 and three over 10 games that uh, I think we could take a, se- a step sideways. You know, I think we could try to move Randall for someone at a different position, start top and draft someone to be a backup for, you know, maybe it's an Eason, a Sohan to, you know, hot names just as an example and just continue adding young guys to this rotation and try to be a serious team, just continue getting that worthwhile experience for them, try to make a playoff push next season. Now, I have to say something like uh trading future picks you know to upgrade the team some none of that intrigues me i don't think like i said earlier we don't have that pressure to be that good next season we're not losing anything if we're not contending next season i would prefer we try to build this up step by step which is what the rose regime has been doing so far uh something else i would try to do obviously noel and walker could both <laughs> benefit uh and i think new york would certainly benefit from both of those guys finding new homes for next season, or finding those guys new homes for next season, so just you know, kind of taking a look at the books, trying to clean them a bit, and then just looking at our our young guys, looking at who I want to try to open up roles for. You know, if if someone comes knocking at the door with a fair value offer for Burks, I think Burks is someone who could be really good with the proper role, the proper utilization, the proper extent of involvement in the offense. But I, I'm taking that that trade and giving deuce minutes in the rotation quickly. You know, I, I'll do it because, I again, I don't think we're in a position where we need to be good. I think we can take risks. I think we can be bad and it'll be okay. And I'd prefer that to sh- striking out on being good.
2: Well, when you say striking out on being good, I guess the question I have is you had mentioned that the players the Knicks have, you believe in the coaching staff to elevate them to their next level. But couldn't you say similarly about Brunson? Or is that if you get a good player in the door, that that same coaching staff could then turn a good player into a very good player?
3: That's fair. Yeah. I, I think that logic would carry pretty uniformly across, but with someone like Brunson, like I mentioned, that athletic Edge is is not there. He's a real skill guy, and yes, Johnny Bryant would probably love to teach him a myriad of counters and counters for counters to try and challenge these defenses a bit more. But I, you know, I'm not talking about getting Moutier right here. I'm talking about finding a, a real athletic bet, someone who, I mean, just go.
0: I don't, explosiveness, mean, I don't mean
3: like. to make a, and the East is big man joke here, to, <laughs> but look at the, look at the Eastern conference playoffs. Look at teams like Miami, look at teams like Boston. They're giving people hell just trying to run their sets. Right. And it's first steps. It's advantages that defenses can literally do nothing about. Um, that's leading to that. It's why I just moved Jaden Ivy over shade and sharp on my board. I think sharps vertical athleticism is incredible. I think his first step, leave something to be desired and Jaden Ivy can get to the cup without a screen. So for me, I I get Brunson, you know, can do that as well because of how nimble and how skilled he is. Again, part of the need for that is his small stature, which is going to be a a tough issue for me in the playoffs. I know we talked about that at that game, starting Grimes next to him, giving Grimes the POA duties and trying to hide Jalen a bit, but I just don't think uh, you can, win significant playoff series like that. And Brunson isn't just an ad like Fournier where I wanted Evan with the asterisk that he is off this team by the time we want to be really good, that he's used as a trade asset. I think Brunson, especially with this front office, is someone that they'd want here for the long haul. And I'm not sure if you're investing $25 million a year into him, how easy of a time you're going to have constructing that playoff contender, which is, we know, ultimately the goal.
2: Right. But then, if we're talking about lower expectations and we're talking about Fournier, who's not going to be here in the time that there will be a contender, and how there is enough of a gap between now and then, couldn't the Knicks basically, by getting Brunson, raise their floor, which then makes them a more competent team, which makes them more attractive to players who are looking to move on their way out? I guess, like, the way I see it is, and I understand why, but there is often a fixation on the price tag. And listen, as someone who does a weekly podcast called Capital Is Everything Around Me, I get it. I understand what happens in terms of dollars. But I guess what I want to segue to is one of the players you did not mention was Derrick Rose. And now, to me, it's the thought process of where... And, and maybe I guess I'll, I'll turn it to you in asking this. You, you want to... Yes or no? You want to keep Derrick Rose?
3: I would certainly like to keep Derek Rose, but I'm okay moving him if it results in an upgrade. For example, a couple of weeks back I talked about how uh, and you instantly owned me because of base year compensation. <laughs> oh, but sorry, yeah. If something like the
2: CBA owned you for whatever it's worth, not me. They owned all of us. It
3: sucks. <laughs> well, if uh if Derek Rose and Nerland's Noel could be utilized to make a bet on someone like Colin Sexton, um Again, someone who I think has that next tier available to him, he can generate rim pressure. He can get into the teeth of the defense the way Brunson does, but he does it with a little bit more than just pure skill. I'd like to see our coaches try to give him some more of that pure skill. That's the stuff I think they're really good at developing: is ball handling uh, and things like that. So I know I went on a bit of a a Sexton segue here, but that that's an example of of like a bet I would take and I would use Rose for. I'm not. Attached to him being here long term. I'm not Tom Tibbs. So I know
2: you mentioned Rose. I know you talked about Burks. If there were a scenario where, with base year compensation still being factored in, where you could essentially do a three team deal where Rose goes to the Mavs and Burks goes to a team that has cap space that is looking for a player for like a protected second, you know, or a, an okay second, and you're paying Brunson $25 million, is that still something where you're upset at the cost that was given to Brunson because it sounds as though, and and please correct me if I'm wrong, but a big factor, even if you are comfortable with Rose being off the team is that if he's here, him not playing in a ton of games is an advantage because it clears playing time for deuce.
3: Uh, I really value Derek Rose's veteran leadership. Like I think I talk about what he did for Obi Toppins rebounding more than anyone. And part of that is because I'm insane, but like, yeah, he, really changed that and turned that around. And he got Obi to understand in his rookie year that if you're going to contribute to a Tom Thibodeau team, it's not just Rose's leadership. It's Rose's leadership in a Tibbs-controlled environment, (laughs) teaching Deuce to not look at him in the eyes, (laughs) teaching Obi to go up with two hands for rebounds. Uh, I think that he really still benefits you, even if he's not playing. You know, It's not just that he opens up minutes. I understand a trade for someone like Hayward and the fact that he might miss half the season isn't the end of the world. Rose's you know, one of the guys on the bench when he's not playing, he shows up in his red hat and <laughs> joins the assistant coaching team. So yeah, I, I, I guess that's part of it, but I also know what value he brings off the court, even if he can't play on the court. Do you see Brunson coming into the fold as blocking Emmanuel
2: quickly? Cause I'm of the belief that if you take Brunson and you play him 32, 33 minutes a game and you have Emmanuel quickly taking over in the Derek Rose role, and you move Rose out, does it obviously block a path for Deuce? 100% yes. Deuce is also not a priority for me. And I think the philosophy there is you still get a man quickly playing more time than he was last season. You're giving him responsibility for those that might think, oh, well, how, like, why would Tibbs ever do that? He did the exact same thing pretty much with Alec Burke starting and quickly off the bench. And I think that the whole size factor with Tibbs is very much overblown. I think he just wants good basketball players that he can trust and you put them together and you hope that they complement each other well. And I know that Brunson and quickly, because especially quickly's length, he's able to mitigate a lot of the issue there. So I guess to turn it back to you, is it the sort of thing where is it, is it, is it it blocking him? Is it because if you're able to raise that floor, then you're doing something right. And yes, I hear what you're saying in terms of if quickly's here, excuse me, if, if Brunson's here, that the front office would be committed to keeping him and building around him. But I also feel like if the time comes where Brunson's on his next contract and a star makes himself available, that Leon Rhodes would look at Jalen Brunson in the eyes and say, listen, I love you like a son. I've given you generational wealth. There is a star. It's a business. I hope you can understand. And that he would and I also throw right, like, over the cliff yeah. eating him over. Right. And I think it's just kind of like building up to that point that why it's important to add a player who is talented like him. And if you're using kind of like rotation pieces, maybe a couple like the Pistons second round pick or, um, and, or like, or, or, and another second round pick, it's really no skin off the next back. Is that something you agree with? Or do you see otherwise?
3: I definitely think we have a surplus of second round picks that yes. <laughs> uh, we should not be afraid to tap into. And I laugh every time I open the, the page of our future draft control because I'm trying to figure out which picks we own and not. And it's, it's a lot uh, to the, the size, the the blocking thing with with Quick and Brunson. Um, I, I do... Put out quick propaganda all the time that he's a 6'3 guard with a 6'9 wingspan that if he were drafted by toronto san antonio or memphis the conversation around him would be vastly different from where it's at today um i think that's undeniable but i i i also understand that he's not some stopper right and i'm really big one of the tenets of my basketball philosophy like defensively is stopping the first action um, I think that making teams uncomfortable is like ridiculously important. That's why I brought up Boston and Miami earlier, because you look at Boston, they don't even play a, a point guard, right? Like they just throw two, two, three slash four, three slash four and a five at you, um, and switch you into oblivion. I think that, oh, <laughs> man, margin and charge. He's so. big yeah. I was there literally in charge of the East right now. So yeah, you know, pains me to credit them for that, but I don't, I don't think you just generally, this is not for the New York Knicks because I'm, you know, I'm really big on saying we don't have pressure to win at a high level next year, but I don't think you win at a high level period. If your perimeter defenders can't stop the first action. And I don't know. and, And on a consistent basis, right? So um, you know, deuce of as eventually starting, if we have a jumbo on this team of some sort really, really intrigues me. That's a role I've projected him in since pre draft is if there's an initiator in the starting lineup of a team that's not a point guard, he can serve as that plug and play guy at the one because what he brings to you at the point of attack, what he brings off ball with his catch and shoot ability, he just shot what 50% on nine attempts a game. In the G League, from three, that's not college range. That those are real shots, and that you know, I I project him in that role, and I have for a while. So for me, like part of the reason for that is because how important stopping the first action of an offense is to me. And Brunson, Grimes, RJ, like I just I see them getting lit up, and I'm not saying that that's irreversibly detrimental to the development of any of our young guys to get lit up defensively, but I do think, especially with who our coaches, it's important to really keep defense in mind. And like you said, you think is overblown. I don't I don't think he we're seeing IQ Brunson minutes for a lot of a game. it sounds like OB Randall to me. And I know it's different positions and I know the center position has a different role in the Tibbs defense and that comparison. If Tom heard it, Tom T himself heard it, he would call blasphemy. But I just think that it's two guys. He's not going to want to see share the court. He's going to love that excuse for quick to play. You know, he played 23 minutes a game this season, 19 minutes a game in his rookie season. You talked about playing Brunson 32. You know, I think we're looking at, <laughs> About 18, 20 minutes a game for quick at that point. But he's not going to play. The better basketball player of those two is Jalen Brunson right now.
2: But he's not going to play on that that low of a number. Like he's not going to go backwards with him. And when I say they'll play together, I don't mean it's like they're you know handcuffed to one another. I'm just saying there will be times where like we saw Rose and quickly play together down the stretch. Like you could have four or five minutes. Here in one half, you could have four or five minutes in the other half. You can find a way to make it work. I just think that what Tibbs did last year has scarred so many people that, Oh, the idea of playing players who should see time together, um, like him just completely forgetting about that has just scarred fans. And I get it. I understand why, but it is different because you, if you have multiple ball handlers who can create for themselves, um, who can, you know, Pull up, who can play off the catch and shoot. That is something I think Tibbs cares about more than how can I play Randall and Obi together because they're gonna get crushed on the glass. And you know, you can switch, but neither of them will Obi is okay at protecting the rim, but how do you get them to work together? So I just think that there's a there's a significant difference between the two. I understand why fans might think otherwise, but to me it's just i think I think we'll see more. We'll see more of that tandem far more than we would have Tobin and
3: Randall. I agree with the scarring point completely. I've had it suggested to me that we just we just flip eleven for Brogdon because Tibbs isn't going to play the rookie anyway. And I'm like, yeah. this man has y'all in hell <laughs> like um i I think people are scarred, right? but i I, I, and I do agree with your sentiment that he's biased towards good players, right? It's a famous quote of his. We know Tom Tibbs just likes good players. But I also know that he had Rose at least fighting on defense last year. I, I wanted Fred Van Vliet. You know, talk about a short guard. Um, I know he's a little different play style wise from Jalen. But in terms of what kind of signing he would be, maybe the numbers look a little similar. That's someone who I was in on. You know, we needed a guard to get the ball out of Randall's hands, as the last season certainly showed. And that you know, because he brings it on defense, because he's not uh, a Peyton at the the point of attack. I was in on that, right? He's not a traffic cone out there, but Brunson, man, I just I'm so it's I I admit that it's a bias, but like for my the way I view defense in basketball, like even coaching the fourth graders back in high school, I was like, we need, you need to like blitz the pick and roll. You need to stop that first action. Um, and, and get the offense to be uncomfortable and force them to do things they don't want to do and, and take shots that the defense can consider a win. You know, I think Brunson on the court guaranteed for 32 minutes a game, those starting guards are going to get a lot of shots that they think are, are wins for their team. And that's just not optimal when, Like if I'm going to, if that's going to happen, I'd like for it to happen. And I go out swinging, you know, I I'd like for Colin Sexton and IQ to be the starting back where with IQ running the one Sexton, the two on offense, but switched for defense and you are what you guard. So yeah, I would get calling Sexton the one, um, like that swing on his athleticism. And I keep bringing him up because I do think he has more to his game. I think he's a fantastic passer, really talented and skilled passer. Um, I would rather go down on a swing like that than, than paying up on what is supposed to be this sure thing that I think, you know, that we just don't have Luca and, and Randall's not that. And that's just not, not that he's supposed to be, but you know, I, it, it, the drawbacks are a little much for me,
2: but Luca, the Mavs had a better net rating with Brunson on and Luca off than they did with Luca on and Brunson off. And it's not like there was a small sample size for either. Like I, in the playoffs, I understand you're obviously taken by superstars, and it certainly helped that they had Luka Doncic. I just feel as though with Jalen Brunson, especially when he played the Jazz, he was almost at this like damned if you do, damned if you don't position, because either he lights up the Jazz's perimeter defense, which was abysmal, and we could chalk it up to it being abysmal, or he gets destroyed by it, and then we point to the fact that he couldn't even do what had to be done to get them through. And he did. He did destroy it. And then the next, I mean, they took the Suns to seven games and then obliterated them. And I hear what you're saying about the defense. To me, you know, listen, in general, my priorities, they have to do with larger guards. I like the fact that you can like run out guys who are 6'3 with or taller with length and you can switch like crazy. So I hear you, but it's because the Knicks aren't in the position where they are going to be so good that I'm more comfortable just letting it roll. And I think the thing that gets overlooked with Brunson, where while we both have this defensive minded, like let's get the defense right and focus on the offense. The Knicks have been bottom 10 both years under Tibbs in offense. And I think that if you can get someone like Derek Rose to try really hard on defense, because when you look at the Knicks, there aren't a ton of guys who were playing last year that were super defensive first. And yet they still finished with what top 11, top 10 defense in the league. So while I do see what you're saying in terms of the perimeter attack being an issue, I think that the the bonuses you get from having someone who was quite literally the best pick and roll ball handler in the NBA last season, who like if we're talking about RJ and how the strides he's made from New Year's Eve To the end of the season, Brunson had a 50, 40, 90 season, except for the fact that he missed one three. So he didn't make, he didn't make the the club. He had like a 50, 39, 80 plus or whatever season. Not many guys do that. And so if we talk generally, not you and me so much, but if the conversation is Brogdon, yeah, he's got the size for sure. But a reason he's even in the conversation despite not shooting super well for the most part of his last few years, is because he had that 50, 40, 90 season where he was thought of as this plus shooter who then can do it on the defensive side and whatnot. And I just I think that what Brunson's able to do on the offensive side often gets overlooked because of his defensive shortcomings. And I just feel as though with Tibbs leading the defense, even if he's not here for long, taking the blueprint, that's there. And trying to build on it or extrapolate and getting more players who are plus defenders, you're fine for the next two to three years. And if you need to run into a problem later on, then you address it. But that's like something we
3: can deal with down the line. We're definitely employing some of the same logic um, in the sense that, like, you know, you and I have both made this case that the Knicks don't have to be super good next year and they can afford to take hits in some aspects of their play style. Totally agree with you there. We just, see differently in regards to like what those hits can be. Um, For me, like I'm still not over how, like I just, you know how I feel about Emmanuel quickly, right? I think that the numbers show, especially, you know, you want to get into the advanced ones that his metrics this season as a pick and roll ball handler, as a drive driver and drive and kicker um, are, we're really good. And that, Oh, thunderstorm! That he, um, that he is just someone who is worth trying those keys out on. If he brings you back a crashed car, all right. Well, you you handed him the keys. You know that was your choice. You you went down with that, and it was worth seeing if you had an F one driver in that kid. You know, you know, I I think there's something there, and because of that, same thing with Deuce, like. I think there's something there. IQ, I'm willing to say I know there's something there because he is, I talk about on, on draft class a lot, how I I love psychos. Um, well, quick is one of those guys. (laughs) He's absolutely a psycho. And for me, like, I, I just can't get over what Brunson does to limiting his potential growth. Um, I even, even with Tibbs playing them together, right? Those playmaking reps only coming against second units, okay, I can stomach that. I can stomach you know, him getting the playmaking reps only with the second team in the Rose role. And then if he's playing with the starters, being more of a catch and shoot guy. But I would like for there to be more minutes where he's running that second unit. You know, I would like for that to be in a situation where just to throw a name out of someone that you don't have pressure to play 40 a game, Tyus Jones is the guy who is running with the starters. Quick is running with the bench unit. And if quick is hot, you could play Tyus eighteen minutes that game, and Quick thirty, and you'll be okay. You know, I I think that I would like to have that flexibility, and I know that having Brunson on the team, like you can't, you don't pay him twenty five million and start benching him in crunch time, and they wouldn't do that, right? So the fact that I I see that as a possibility, that I see a, a day where Quick is outplaying him, and Quick rides the pine because. Brunson's Brunson and Tibbs has a bias towards good players. And he's discerned that Brunson's better than quick and he's going to roll with him. That stuff scares me because I just finished up a, and I'll admit to the scarring, right? I just finished up a season where the New York Knicks were playing an overtime game against the Los Angeles Lakers, a game in which RJ was finishing over AD and showing his stuff and quick logged nine minutes. Well, that game was (laughs) egregious, but yes, right. It, It was, it was those, those moments where there was no reason for him not to be in, and Alec Burks was in. well, imagine if Alec Burks is Jalen brunson you know i'm 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 not saying that you can't make this team good. I'm saying that this is definitely making this team better, but it's doing it in a way that I think may also come with more drawbacks than than positives, opportunity cost wise in terms of the minutes, not not just the salary.
2: But then if you have Brunson, who this past season shot over 40% on the catch and shoot three, season before shot 43%, I think it was 43.6, 43.7, season before that uh, 43.5, 43.6. He's consistently someone who can play off the ball. And when you get that player who can space the floor and pull up from mid-range and provide dribble, drive, penetration. And I look at someone like Tyus. I know you are certainly a big fan of the Tyus Jones is good at basketball uh, agenda. and uh, Totally, he is good. But the thing that I look about it with Tyus versus these other players like someone like Brunson, hell, even like Sexton. Tyus Jones doesn't drive. He's not and has never been and really never will be an aggressive downhill player. And then I... Because I was curious about it. I looked around the league and I tried to find... How many teams made the play-in or the playoffs? um, And they had a point guard who was, number one, making less than $20 million a year um, or not on his rookie contract. And I found five teams. The first, the Spurs. DeJounte Murray, grossly underpaid. The reason he's underpaid is because he tore his ACL and then agreed to an extension, probably would have balled out if healthy and would be making a lot more money. Second, Patrick Beverly. Uh, Beverly's assignments are much more defensive focused. You have D'Lo, you have Cat, high usage guys who are going to be taking on the responsibilities. Uh, just under $20 million is Fred Van Vliet with the Raptors, named to an all-star team. The Nuggets, Jamal Murray, obviously injured. And then you have Jalen Brunson. And so it goes into the thought process. I understand that $20 million and $25 million may seem like a lot. But if the Knicks project to be over the cap, I don't think it really matters. Like, and that
3: inflation's coming. I understand.
2: Right. Well, not, not even just the inflation, but just if you're not going to be near the tax apron and you're not going to have cap space anyway. To me, a few more million dollars for a starting point guard, it's not as big of a concern for me. But I just want to highlight one thing because I know that you're talking about the youth, and I agree. You know, we're on the same page. Or we we want the youth to
3: succeed, but can I read you a tweet and get your thoughts on it? It's my tweet. I, I, I was waiting for the Chuck McGill moment.
2: Let's hear Chuck it. Miguel. No, it was the Rangers tweet, which I actually really liked. It was all right. I'm going to step up and be the person to say it. our Knicks fans seeing how much playoff experience is affecting the development of Rangers. Young guys stop denying the playing uh, is important. Games matters and crying while asking a tank every single year. And I a thousand percent agree with you on that. Right? Like, there are a lot of fans who I, I get were really upset with the fact that the Knicks didn't tank. And yet they then played their younger players against decent to good teams and they were winning. And it's like, hey, RJ, could you stop going off? We need to increase our lottery odds. It just wasn't going to happen. Right. So I was 100% and still am 100% with the thought process. What I wanted to ask you about though, was when you look at this Rangers team, and I don't want to shift too much into hockey versus basketball, but like, I think it's seven of the top eight of their uh, leading point scorers this season were veterans. And now it's like the kid line is doing great. They are thriving. Whereas, you know, maybe uh, Panarin's hurt. He's just not doing it. Kreider obviously scored 52 goals in the regular season. He's been better of late. But the thing is like the the veterans are still would have gotten the Rangers to where they are. And the kids can then piggyback off of that and exploit teams that are not as good, especially maybe if they're not playing against their best lineups. And I think about with the Knicks, it's like hundred percent, Chris, there's no reason why the Knicks should keep trying to tank. But then the opportunity cost is, is what? Maybe like if you, if you add Jalen Brunson and you make the playoffs, you made the playoffs. You're, you're taking that next step back to being competent. Right. Whereas if you don't get Brunson and you fail, there's at least a silver lining. It's disappointing. Don't get me wrong. Um, and you'd certainly have people saying why more people At least why did the Knicks give Jalen Brunson a contract of X amount, but that's where it was like, it kind of clicked for me where it's like, yeah, a thousand percent. The Knicks need to do everything they can to keep winning without it, without like eliminating the stakes. So there's no safety net next year, but then wouldn't that be a way of adding good veterans in the building? And I don't know how you're really able to do that. Like if you see a player like Brunson, he says, I want to come to New York. I don't know the last player like Brunson who has said he's looked around at the Knicks and said, this is a team worth playing for. And so it's not so much like choosing beggars, but it's just like maybe it's a start where you can at least go from Dennis Smith Jr. A second round pick to Derek Rose and Alec Burks to Jalen Brunson to sticking with Brunson or something completely different. But that kind of mindset is, I guess, where I am mainly at.
3: For sure, I, I get you, and I I I re- agree with your agreement. You know, I I think that that sentiment is is important, right? Um, So I'm, I was, you know, Andrew's dying there, but uh, I uh thank think- you,
1: Jeremy, for agreeing with me. I agree with you that you agree with me. Yes, well done. Chris. Always.
3: Um, for me, that guy you brought up, and this was going to be my last point, was that I haven't even brought up the guy who i am not obsessed with but many would think from the quantity of tweets i have spreading propaganda about him um talking about going out swinging right well giving rj some playmaking reps is is part of that for me and i just don't know especially with certain small birds tweeting that randall might still be around um that I, I just don't know where those reps come from, right So you know IQ is is for me where I started the concern with and the reason for that is because he actually needs those playmaking reps for him to reach that ceiling, right but RJ um that's already part of his game. We kind of take that as part of his game and unless Randall's going out and Brunson's coming in, I'm not sure, how realistically, without picking one of Brunson or Randall to really step down, and we know if Randall's back, it's because he's accepted a reduced role, right? Uh, I don't. I just don't see enough reps, and I, as as someone who's young and who practices a million times, you know, doing podcasts into the ether, uh, I, I really appreciate reps and and just practice, right? And I, I those in game reps, you know, I, I never learned. More in my life about producing a pod until the time I had to produce and a host at the same time, and I was behind the board hosting the show, doing the levels like a madman. That's when I learned the most about producing. For me, I want RJ to be running across hot coals. Really, you know, that I want him to to go into the fire and and have this chance to fail because I think this year is a big chance for him to fail. I think it would be you know not the worst thing if if we gave him reps and he failed. Um, really if you're not no no I don't think that would be the worst thing if you went out swinging on RJ being a play like if RJ was starting and you gave him playmaking reps like more of them and it didn't go how you wanted but by the end of the year you saw some significant improvement no I don't think that's the worst thing in the world but then wouldn't we
2: say like there's no consistency with RJ he only turns it up when you know games may don't maybe don't matter as much because the other thing just as you're saying it so, I understand the idea of prioritizing quickly. But if quickly starting, isn't that also
3: taking reps away from RJ? Because you need. But quickly is not going to have that ball dominance that Brunson would. Sorry to cut but, you off, but I no, just.
2: No, no, that's fine. But Brunson's also going to be playing off ball, like I've mentioned, because he can do that. And also, if we're talking about still finding a way to prioritize Brunson, then that's why I have him in the second unit taking on that Rose role, because then you can get someone who can just low key handle consistently because who are you really going to have in the second unit, hypothetically, right? Like Grimes, Cam, Cam. um, like, like Cam could be that secondary type of player, but he's not going to run the offense. They're not going to have a four who's running the offense. So that's why to me, it's like, it's a promotion for quickly because you can, you can fail if you want, and you don't have to deal with failing against starters. And I don't think quickly is going to fail. I want to be clear about that. And what was so great is that towards the end of the season, he finally learned to drive, right? Like he was mm-hmm. averaging, I think 10 drives a game, Gorgeous. By, like just everything that we've wanted, you know, drive, oh, yeah. finish, beautiful. And he's starting to take that, that next step. And that's where my fear is where it's, it's like, yeah, you want to, for the analogy, like have someone drive the car, see if they can do it. Well, like if you give quickly the keys to an automatic, Maybe he does it, and that's the back backup spot. But maybe if you give him a manual, like a manual car, and you can't—he like, he doesn't know how to do stick. Then how does that affect his confidence? Is he going to feel like when he goes to, to the automatic car, like, oh, remember when I drove manual, uh, or when I, you know, when I, like the stick is is a problem for me? What do I do? And then you have someone who's like tried and true, relied upon, and that's where it kind of checks off all of the boxes except for the money, which again, I don't care about because you're moving out of their salary. I should should say, I don't care about as much and the defense, which still has found a way to be the sum of the parts being greater than the whole. And I just don't want quickly to be in a position where he and RJ are pushed too much to the front of the line and they don't know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And then it seems like it lowers the value of their, um, assets, as players, as as trade pieces, uh, that Tibbs, I mean, look, I, I'm ambivalent about Tibbs in a lot of ways, but you have the Leon Rose era where people are going to say, well, he's got to fire Tibbs if they fall flat on their face. What is Leon going to do? Is he going to make a trade because of the fact that he's too worried about you know losing his job and it's classic uh, Dolan forces the Knicks into a deal that they don't want to make? And just by at least getting back into the conversation by using Brunson of, we're going to be a a play-in quality team, which we should have been when we were playing the young guys. And maybe we can even squeak in to the top six because you never know. Made it to the fourth seed, COVID aside and irrelevant. That sort of mentality of like push the guys who are capable of logging heavier minutes and qualify to do it. Not, you know, other players like Burks who is miscast, uh, like Kemba who was not doing a good job, like Noel who just should be on a different team Finding players who are more equipped to deal with the day to day struggles of
3: a game and then have the young guys play behind them. That's just kind of how I see it. The urge that I just fought to chime in and say that you should hand a manual a manual on driving manual. <laughs> that's oh my that's a gosh. Bar. Oh my gosh. But yeah, I do think that um, you have a very salient point about those guys failing against starting units and like quarterbacks, you know, kind of having their confidence killed. Uh, I get why you, why you let the guy sit for a year, right? I just also think that back to us not being in a position, you know, yada, yada, um, those swings, like to to bring up Sexton again, like quick Sexton Barrett as your one, two, three. And just seeing how that shakes out, um, but with the intention of quickly and RJ each definitely getting their fair share of an issue. And I'm not talking they need to have the same amount of reps. That would That's yeah, no. Um, but you get my point about keeping them involved in, in those roles. Uh, I, I just think that Brunson, yes. And I opened this by saying that he is a, a footwork master. That he, you know, he could probably teach Deuce and Quick a, a thing or three about beating defenses with skill, right? But that I don't know if that's what we're missing. I feel like what we're missing is not to say, oh yeah, well, you know, uh, a Walmart T-shirt would be nice, but I'd like one from Gucci. You know, like Jade and Ivy. Um, well, yeah, that's what we're missing. Right. Uh, Someone, a lot of Knicks fans want Donovan Mitchell for as much as I could do a whole pod like this again, arguing about why we shouldn't drop the farm on him. He's someone who's explosive and can beat guys with his first step and without a screen. Um, I, I really think the Knicks are in a fun spot. I think they're in a really good spot in terms of their young core. And I just don't know if outbidding Dallas to potentially Hamper the development. Uh, you know, like it's all of those factors for me. Then add in my defensive philosophy. Then, you know, all of that combined. I just, there's certainly pros, but for me, those cons just add up and it's enough of them where I can say, oh, this is, this would maybe work well in another multiverse, but, but this one I'm rolling with my guys, you know? Understandable. Yeah. I, a thought that I've had. Is that Brunson
2: maybe doesn't actually, if he wanted to come to New York, right? If he wants to leave Dallas, he wants to be the guy for the Knicks with these connections and everything. If that's the case, is he going to go with the absolute highest bid? Or is he going to go for something that might be slightly lower to accommodate for that? Um, And then it's the thought process of like, if that happens, we know that Dallas is then going to leak the report through... You know, Mark Stein, Tim McMahon, take your pick, saying, Well, Dallas offered the most money because it's an easy thing to say. And they can say, Well, he chose it. Like they've been opening the door for him to potentially exit this entire time with how their comments have been through leaks. And I guess that's also kind of the thing where it might not be that the Knicks and the Mavs you know, bid to such a high amount of a lot. It's crazy. But if it's like, if we're talking about 20 million, I guess this is probably the, The last question i'll ask you if we're talking about a price what is your highest price where you're like okay i'll take brunson warts and all for this amount
3: i think you know you said 20 i would say after that playoff performance especially and i know i was one of the people who credited him for the performance against utah but also said hey let's wait and see him against a good defense You know, 22 is a number that I think the league would look at favorably long term. That I don't think we would have a problem uh, slithering out of that agreement, you know, and and flipping him somewhere else, maybe a sign in trade, maybe whatever it is, an all star player comes loose and we can finally use some of those surplus draft picks of ours along with him. I understand that as well, that he would have value going forward. I just think that. The conversation before the playoffs was like eighteen, twenty, and shifted to twenty-five, aka a hundred. Um, uh, yeah, you know, if if it's four eighty-eight, okay, and and if the move involves, you know, moving guys, um, I don't think Dallas is taking nerlins but you know, some others. Uh, yeah, right. Okay, uh, you know, this can be spun in a way where I look at this and go, okay, I, I like how the Knicks went about this, and this can be productive. Uh, for sure, you know I'm, I'm not saying signing Jalen Brunson is this the uh, harbinger of doom for the New York Knicks. You know the beginning of the end. Yeah, it's a sign that they ostensibly have no idea what they're doing. No, no. If they got him at value, especially because he maybe wants a different role, a new change of scenery, uh, pay pay more taxes. Uh, okay, I can do that, right? But it's the 25. Oh, Dallas offers 25, and we'd have to go 26. It, that's what scares me and and that's why I, I've always considered myself out on his market value. Can I offer one quick counter before I
2: turn absolutely over to Andrew? So one of the other things the Knicks could do is cause most contracts aren't a zero percent raise, right? If you're at home or if you're with the team that has your bird rights, you're probably going eight percent. If you're going to another team, the max is five percent. If Jalen Brunson earns $25 million from the Knicks in year one and then drops it down 5% each year. So that it's after four years, he's at 21.25 million. That would be 92.5 over four years. Is that an agreeable amount? But descending. Descending, which is my personal preference. All right. So see folks, we can find common ground here. Kumbaya. I was going to say everyone hold hands. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Andrew, turn it back to you.
1: I, I am proud of you guys for finally having this conversation on microphones. Um, some final thoughts, uh, producer wrap up um, uh, summaries. I guess we'll call this. Uh, did we just have this whole conversation operating under the thought of Julius Randle is not in the picture? Like, Jeremy, are you are you for signing Brunson with the caveat that this better mean that Julius Randle is not on the roster?
2: And I'm with Chris on that, where if you do bring Brunson into the fold and you have Randall firmly planted or supplanted on your team, Mm -hmm. then you're going to run into some more issues because then you're dealing with too many high usage guys, too many mouths to feed. That's the beauty of Obi, where he can be so creative, where it takes the pressure off of the ball handling, which then shifts onto Brunson, onto RJ, onto um, whatever two guard is there, whether it's Fournier, Grimes, or another player. Mm -hmm. Um, But yes, it would be, it would be uncomfortable to have Randall and Brunson on the same team.
1: And then Chris, the idea of Brunson and Randall obviously bothers you. Um, does the idea of Brunson kind of taking Randall's spot? I mean, you, 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 you said this throughout the pod that you don't want to take opportunities away from RJ opportunities away from quickly. Um, is it safe to just say a, a summary of your stance on this is like, if they get rid of Randall and sign any veteran point guard, that really is just more the other half of the point guard minutes. That is your stance on this, that your take is less, less anti Brunson and more pro
3: quickly. Yeah, I think quickly and and my view on him, you know, I, my personal view on deuce, my personal view on quickly mm-hmm. personal view on RJ, Absolutely factors. I think that you know you you mess up at the start of a I know this is a little more distant for you guys. Sorry. You mess up at the start of a question at a math test and then you mess up the whole way down and you still get credit for doing it somewhat right. The process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So uh, it's about you know that maybe I'm wrong about all of these guys, right? But I'm going to do things based on my views on them. And also just I I definitely had the conversation under the potential that Randall might be back because that's what it, it sounds like.
1: How much does Tom Thibodeau being the head coach factor in for both of you that whether Tibbs with this Brunson fit in a Tibbs situation or are you both operating under the idea that you're signing Brunson or not signing Brunson with the thought that Tibbs is not here for the foreseeable future?
2: It's irrelevant for me. Okay. It's just getting good players in the building. And I know that there are also the connections between Rick Brunson and Tom Thibodeau since they coached together. So I'm sure that would play a part in it. And, you know, maybe a reason on top of other reasons why the Knicks did not fire Tibbs. But whether he's here or not, he's a useful player who can do good things for the Knicks. And that's that's the bottom line.
1: And then, Chris, I want clarification on this because you you did say this and I it made me pause that You want to give RJ as many playmaking opportunities and you'll look at it as a positive, even if he fails. And wouldn't that be a step back if you give RJ all these opportunities and he ends up failing? Like wouldn't wouldn't the idea of RJ Barrett being a
3: failure be like, "Whoa, we should have added more talent when we had the chance reason I I, I, maybe I should have specified definitely should have specified this but when I said that I definitely meant within reason I didn't mean employ him like Fizdale did point RJ and just like Mm -hmm. let him vibe out you know oh hey let's uh let's see if those assists happen um yeah no I think that it's all within reason I think that if RJ gets more playmaking reps and it doesn't go too well and he scales back down to what he was doing last year like that that just wouldn't be the end of the world was, was what I was trying to say there.
1: It's why I'm, I'm kind of curious, Chris, because I think I've, I have come down on the pro Brunson side of things, but I'm not like, I'm definitely not at the point of outbid Dallas for him. But he, like Jeremy did cite all those off-ball shooting stats. And wouldn't that still allow you to give RJ all of those opportunities? And he's not kicking it to Kemba Walker. He's kicking it to Jalen Brunson now.
3: Right. Yeah. This is where your point about who the coach is. Like, this is something where I think about it. So, do I think you should be making basketball decisions? And the final question you ask yourself is, "Well, would Tibbs want me to do this?" Or, no. No. That that cannot be how you operate, right? And I think Nick fans can, by and large, agree that although a relationship with the coach being well maintained is important, you can't literally just sacrifice your own desires as a front office to appease everything your coach wants, especially if your coach is Tibbs. I do think though that at a certain point we know Tibbs is the head coach next season. There is a little bit of maneuvering that has to be done. You know, for example, putting Noel back on this roster and expecting him to play Jericho over him is probably not something that's going to happen, which is why we all talk about wanting to find Noel a new home because the front office had to beg Tibbs to not play him and to play Jericho instead. So things like that, that's where I would bring up that point of yours about who our coaches.
1: Well, speaking of um the front office. Jeremy, I'll I'll wrap up my one of my last two questions with are you at the point with Brunson that I mean if they got outbid, they get outbid or he wanted to go back to Dallas. That's fine. But like like imagine he ends up on a different team and the Knicks like there's a number that you would have been comfortable giving him and the Knicks don't get him. Are you then gonna turn some of your if you have any animosity in you, Jeremy, Um, would you turn your animosity and disappointment toward the front office? They couldn't bring in a guy that literally is in a quote unquote family tree of the front office.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, let's just say it, the team that probably would be getting him would be Detroit. Mm -hmm. And then it's the philosophy of like, all right, yes. How is it that the Knicks, a team that had finished with a better record than Detroit last year, um, that obviously the Pistons have Kate Cunningham, but if you're, Jalen Brunson, you're going from Luka to Cade in that it's not so much a heliocentric player but it's like was it really money? W- were you sold on something similar to what Jeremy Grant was sold on? Why is it that you, New York could not get him in the building? And if he just said I, you know, I didn't want to be in New York, understandable. It'd be more why did he want to go to Detroit and then it would be the f- thought process of if you are the Knicks and you because the big thing that's it's going to be blamed is cap space right mm-hmm. they didn't have the cap space then you if you're New York and you wanted to be in this situation you probably shouldn't have held out at the deadline when it involved Cam and Burks and Noel going out yeah and so that for me would be the moment of reflection where it's like maybe you guys flew a little too close to the sun maybe you tried to be too greedy and you weren't able to get a player um, and you It's not so much arrogance, but it is. It's greed that then prevented you from getting better. And to kind of, you know, with John Schmilk, we talked about no man's land. This wouldn't put the Knicks in no man's land, but it'd be a pretty good argument for why they are in it. I still don't think they are, but at least it's, all right, cool. You're comfortable with not a whole lot necessarily changing. That's fine but you have to ace the draft picks. And you need to look like you're on the upswing because you did a great job year one, took a step back year two, need to show some sort of improvement in year three, both on the court and in terms of win-loss record. So yeah, I'd be pretty miffed about the trade deadline.
1: And then Chris, similar question, what would make you turn on this front office? Would it be would it be bringing Julius back? Would it be bringing in some type of point guard that it- leads to um more seven minute emmanuel quickly games and nine minute
3: Obitopping topping games so i think everyone knows i really love this front office it would take um some real uh, what's the word malpractice from Mm -hmm. them to lose my trust i just love how they go about things i love how they operate but Doing something like being so, not bringing Randall back, but being so desperate to bring Randall back that um, the Westbrook is a Nick next year, you know? Like, oh, geez. So, <clears throat> yeah. Right. So, like, <laughs> getting desperate to a point where they're like, oh, we just need to do something, you know? Uh, no, they've been ridiculously methodical. They've been ridiculously Obsessed and adamant with winning every single transaction they, they begin, right And even if it fails, even if it backfires see the Nerlens Noel contract, uh, they again, they went down swinging, right And I just I admire that. I think that dumping Randall for Westbrook and Horton here's sorry, Taylor Horton Tucker um, is just not <laughs> gonna be worth it at all. You know, so something that says, oh, we messed up real bad. It's time to just dump it. I mm-hmm. get the sunk cost fallacy. I don't get being doing something more detrimental just because people don't like uh, thing A and want thing B and said, I don't know.
1: So then, last question for both of you your, your, that's Tibbs. So your 10 man rotation for next year, your ideal 10 man rotation for next year, Jeremy will, start with you
2: and we do in trades with yeah. uh with you draft?
1: have you are you have made every you are in charge Ooh. if you want what do you want to see mm. as your 10 man rotation Jared's within reason like don't say Luca have <laughs> like yeah like within reason your your 10 man rotation next year
2: mm. all right so let's go with Brunson
1: okay um, starting point guard
2: still I don't listen I don't love the fit at all but I have to go with Hayward just because of the facts for reasons described earlier and, and what he could yield in terms of consolidation and other assets, potentially RJ Obi, Mitch and then off the bench. Ooh, IQ Grimes, Cam, uh, <sighs> mellow, <laughs> Sims, Let's go. and uh i've got um mathrin in like that 11th spot and the player you know the player that they trade randall for if it's not like hell gallo or that gallo. Si- you know that type of player uh-huh. it's like someone who is like Bledsoe. but the knicks again i i do not i was gonna want, say Bledsoe. No, you know i don't want it <laughs> but i i also talked about the idea of you know eric gordon swapping him out instead, but then Gordon has playing time. You have to find a way to, to continue a soup blood. So, but mm-hmm. if it's, if you're able to do Randall for blood, and it's more than just moving up four spots, then we can talk. Otherwise, not a conversation, but then Sims is my center. So
1: sounds like it's a conversation, Jeremy. I mean, it's a
2: hundred percent a conversation. <laughs> it doesn't mean I will like it, but the pick I know swap, the pick swap just to get Randall off of the books and take on Bledsoe. No, you're also getting a player at that. seven. Yeah, you're also getting a player at seven. Well, are you saying trade Randall for uh, for Bledsoe and seven? Because that's a different conversation.
1: Yeah, aren't you? Pl- aren't you playing uh, eleven to stay here?
2: I'm saying I don't like the idea of Randall and 11 for Bledsoe and 7. That, to me, is awful. Awful way of maintaining or or treating value. Got to do something different. So I
3: need some more moving pieces involved there. Uh, Okay. That's my 10. All right. uh, Chris that that's a tough one. I would love to scheme up some trade up to seven and then four where I can you know get us Ivy um, but I'll say without getting too too crazy here um, I'll go man, quick fournier Barrett. I don't know who you trade Randall for, man. I'm so beyond lost. Let's say... All right. How about this? I'll take several future firsts, what what it takes to, to move up to seven. We'll use Randall to move up to seven, not just Bledsoe and mm-hmm. that swap, but something a little more productive there. And in my dream world, where, by the way, John Moran would not be in my starting lineup, Andrew. Um, I,
1: I know you wouldn't. You don't like good players.
3: So, so um, I I will say that we traded up to seven, use Randall there, and then use future firsts. Get up to four. Uh, Mitch.
1: Paris, who are you picking? Oh, my God. Rashawn,
3: Rashawn Holmes. Come to New York. Welcome, okay. Come home to Papa. And then uh, you got Quick, Fournier, Barrett, Obi Holmes and and that is just all in on just young guys that okay praying that they keep up the defense there. And you I would go Rose Grimes, uh Reddish, Sohan Sims, and then anytime Rose is hurt, anytime a guard is hurt, Mr. McBride gets his call up. What do so we they, do with Kemba and Noel? Oh, and Burks. How rude. Or, or it's I Burks get? for Holmes. Uh, but Burks is Burks is gone in one of those trade-ups. Um okay. and and Kemba and Noel, I, I don't know, I don't know how rude I can get. So I'll say that they they have been banished. Um, even if it took some you know, throwing in a second or two to just vamos
1: Quickly, Fournier, RJ, OB, Rashawn Holmes your starting five.
3: If I'm get, oh, I forgot to draft with the fourth. Yeah, pick. Yeah, what do you no, do with pick, the fourth pick? Yeah, you pick Sohan. Uh, Sohan. Sohan. But I, I, I don't no, think I think that's he's saying no, that's, Sohan. that's I yeah, I picked that eleven. No, I really messed yeah. that one up. <laughs> I'm so, so, so sorry. Go ahead. IQ IV RJ OB Holmes. So Fournier's off the bench, which you've wanted from day one. And there's your spread out IQ, Ivy, RJ are just going to town on the rim, um, especially Jaden there. And then off the bench, you know, you still have Rose and Fournier. Those can be your two bucket getters off the bench next to Cam. Um, Grimes, Cam, Sims. So Cam would be at the four there. And then any, any injured guard, McBride comes up. Yeah, I, I really just traded up to four to take who I wanted to take at 11. That
1: was. Yeah, that's, I, I was so confused who got the four pick. Um, I will say Jeremy's team is clearly better. And I, I wonder what the ceiling would be on a team like that. Chris's team is fun. And it puts the timeline on Ivy, RJ, quickly, OB as like, you're. "Quote unquote core four, Jeremy, that you can watch and and build around and kind of grow with." If I yeah. may, though, I, juice, I just Deuce I just Canada laid runs. out a team
2: that's like seven out of ten guys under the age of twenty five.
1: Yeah, but they weren't drafted by
2: us. Matherin would have been.
1: No, but like, who cares about Matherin? I'm talking about Jalen Brunson. I'm talking about Evan Fournier. Like those guys yeah. are in your starting five. How dare no, you? No,
2: Fournier is out. Hayward is there, and he's I'll oh, try right. Gordon Hayward. He's there. gonna break Excuse me. Every bone on his body, game one, and then you're no, gonna elevate that rhymes and that Tibbs yeah.
1: conditioning, bro. It's gonna get him mm. in shape and he's gonna all of a sudden play 80 games. Oh. he's gonna lead the league in minutes, Gordon Hayward. Oh <laughs> my
3: Couldn't god. Could yeah. <laughs> <laughing>. <laughs> Couldn't we get it out
2: without <laughs> <Street>, laughing?
1: could have,
3: could have finished the senate <laughs> Hey, well Alfred came close. So yes, <laughs> yes.
1: Um, this was a I think a good conversation. I think you guys Covered a lot or covered all of the Twitter back and forth that you guys have had. Uh, You can check out Jeremy every Wednesday on cap rules, everything around me cream, both on the Knicks film school uh, YouTube channel live at 6 p.m. Eastern standard time, or catch it on the podcast feed or on replay on YouTube. We can catch. Chris every Saturday morning with uh draft class, our official NBA draft prospect class. he has been doing a great job with the interviews that he's been getting and all the extensive conversations about the upcoming draft class um, in a couple of weeks. We'll find out who is the, the next selection in this uh, 2022 draft class uh, for all of us here at Knicks film school. We hope you've enjoyed this extended edition, this two day edition of cap or no cap if you dig the show head over to itunes and drop a five-star rating and a review um follow us on all the social medias you know where to find us at nicks film school and until next time thank you for listening and we'll speak with you soon